Amen. Well, I hope you all had a good Thanksgiving. Everybody have a good Thanksgiving? Yeah, and, and you know, thankfully to Shannon Trent has continued going with some cookies today. That was really good. That gave me, so I'm kind of filled up with sweets right now, so we got to get going so I don't run out of gas here pretty soon. But uh, that was fun. We had a good time, didn't we? Um, hey, you know, I was, um, I, I'll tell you this, this is kind of funny. I'm looking in the, over the break, I was looking online, and we actually won the 2019 best place of worship for the town of Oakdale. But I, I don't know who this is that puts this out. Clifton and I were looking at it, and you have to pay him money to get the award. So who knows if they, what this is. But I thought, even if that's not true, we still are the best. You are the best. So we love you. So stand, stay tuned. I don't know what that's about. You may see something else that we are, and I don't know how it all works out. But, but you are the best, and it's great. And I am one of the things I'm most thankful for this year is for all of you. So it's great to have all of you and be one big family here. Um, you know, I was... One of the things I do when I go to the computer is I'll check the news. Do you guys check the news usually? Should keep tabs on what's going on. And, and sometimes I even end up in the sports page. Um, and sometimes that's a little bit of a getaway. And I was in the sports section recently, and they had this big article on the front section and big blown-up picture and everything about the mysterious former late great world heavyweight champion Sonny Liston, one of the most mysterious figures in sports history. And they have this big documentary on him. And so I was sort of perusing it, and I saw something that caught my attention. I just stopped right there. Sonny was one of 25 children. Could a woman have 25? I mean, I'm thinking, I'm thinking of the Phipps family, and I'm thinking, that's big. <laughs> 25 kids. You know, you'd have to rent out a hall for Christmas. I was thinking, you know, what about who, if you think of men, who's fathered the most kids in history? And I was just reading yesterday in Judges that Gideon had 70 sons. No wonder they didn't celebrate birthdays like we do, right? But I, I was thinking, well, I, I don't even need to look at the Guinness Book of Records because I can tell you on record, we, there may have been somebody else more, but on record, we know that Abraham only had one son and he only had two, but eventually they fathered nations. And there may have been others, but we can actually go back to him and show that he fathered nations. That's pretty amazing. And he was called the father of many nations. Now, by the time Paul wrote the book of Romans, which we've been looking at, he was writing primarily to Jewish Christians, and Jewish people were visiting this church primarily. And so he's talking to them about Abraham. And when they think of Abraham, they think of him as the father of the Jews. But Paul's going to change that. He's going to say, if you understand this spiritually speaking... Abraham's the father of all people who have faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Our section we've called as provision because God has made a provision. Up to this point, um, this was just the Jewish people primarily. You know, people that would come to, know, come to know God would come to know through the Jewish people. But now the doors are wide open. God has made a provision. If you put your faith in Jesus Christ, if you recognize you can't get in on your own, but you recognize that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the grave, you can be in a relationship with him, you can be forgiven of your sins, you can have his guidance in this life, and you can know that you'll live with him forever in heaven. That's the provision God has made for us. That's what we call 
the good news. That's what gospel means is the good news. And so today we're going to talk about that a little bit more. We've talked about this good news. We're going to talk about how this relates to everybody in this room, that we can all be part of Abraham's family. He can spiritually be our father. Remember that song, Father Abraham? Anybody heard that? Father Abraham. I mean, it's never made sense to me, but it's a kind of a, it's not supposed to. It's kind of a silly song. But the idea is that Father Abraham, you know, he is the father of anybody who comes by faith. He's the one who physically sort of initiates what will become with Jesus, the kingdom of heaven on earth. Got it? So we're going to talk about that. And we're going to talk about this promise that he made to Abraham that relates now to all of us today. And then next week... We're going to start a series, a short series, on three of the great characters of Christmas. We're going to start by looking at John the Baptist. So read everything you can on John the Baptist in the Bible. Just go to the Bible, look it up, look up anything you can on John the Baptist. We're going to be talking about him next week. You'll get to know him close and personal. But today, we're looking at uh, Romans chapter 4, verses 13 through 25, as we finish our series on the provision of the gospel uh, in this section on Romans. Let's pick it up in verse 13. For the promise, the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith, in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all. As it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. In hope, he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told. So shall your offspring be. He did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body, which is as good as dead, since he was about 100 years old, or when he considered the barrenness of Sarah's womb. No unbelief made him waver concerning the promise of God, but he grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to God, fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. That is why his faith was counted to him as righteousness. But the words, it was counted to him, were not written for his sake alone, but for ours also. It will be counted to us who believe in him, who raised from the dead Jesus our Lord, who was delivered up for our trespasses and raised for our justification. So this is talking about the promise of Abraham that comes through faith. Okay, God made a promise to Abraham, it comes through faith. The first thing we see in verses 13 through 15 is that the law cancels the promise. This law, this, this, if we look at the law and we're trying to come by the law in some ways, we're putting our faith in the law, then that cancels the promise that God gave us. So he goes and he talks a little bit about the promise first. And he, and he tells us that he's made a promise to Abraham, not only to Abraham, but to his offspring, and that they would essentially inherit the world, spiritually speaking. And they would do this by righteousness through faith. Now, remember again, just a quick review, righteousness, justification are court terms. They're used synonymously. So what they're saying is Abraham has been brought to the court. He's been proclaimed guilty. And rather than fight the case, he falls on his face and he says, I'm guilty. 
as you have claimed. I surrender myself to the mercy of the court. And God says, that's all I ask. Come and be with me. I will adopt you and take care of you. And I, from now on, you'll be mine. That's how we come into a relationship with God. And so that's a re quick review is what he's saying. Abraham, the promise is that he will come into the kingdom, as will his followers, by faith. Now, he goes to the contrast. He says, for if the adherence to the law, what does adherent mean? What is it, when, when something adheres, how, what do we say it does? Sticks. sticks, right? So that's what he says. Somebody who sticks to the law, somebody who says, I'm going to get into heaven based on the law. I mean, it's almost an oxymoron. I mean, it's not, that's not faith, right? That's works. But I guess you could say you're putting your faith in something. You're putting your faith in the law. You're putting your faith in the law of Moses, or we might put our faith in some superstition, or we might put our faith in the, the U.S. Constitution, or we may put our faith in the bylaws of the church. Will those things get you into heaven? They prove faith null and void. They mean nothing. The, that breaks the promise. If you try to do it on your own, you break the promise. It doesn't work that way. But if you come with God and you believe in him, then it works out. Now, he says here, he says, the, the law brings wrath. If you try to live by the law, you will bring God's wrath. And you say, how can God be such a cruel, capricious, and evil tyrant? But that's not the point. The point is that we are rude arrogant, selfish human beings who are spitting in the eye of God. It's like the little kid who says, no, I do it, I do it, mine, mine, my way. And they won't let you help them. That's the condition of the world. And God finally says, enough. Go your way. But he gives an opportunity. He gives a provision for us so that we can be in a relationship with him. And it's interesting at the end, he says, the law brings wrath, but there, where there is no law, there is no transgression. The word transgression is different than law, uh, is different than sin. Sin could be anything you do apart from God on your own. But a transgression is when you actually break the law. So if you try to live according to the law, you'll break the law because you're imperfect. And you just can't do it. But Abraham and his offspring put their faith in God. And so it, the promise wasn't broken. And it was something they looked to in the future that they didn't know how this was going to happen. This is an important theme here. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 13, talks about Abraham and some of his offspring. It says, these all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. Hang on to that because we'll revisit that thought later. These guys didn't know what was going to happen. They didn't see it. They know now. But they came by a promise. And they believed what God was going to do. They didn't know Jesus was going to come and die on the cross and rise from the grave. But they believed whatever God told them. And it was evident that they would believe that. That they were capable and they were willing and they would have believed that. Because they had surrendered to God by faith. We look back on what he's done. They look forward. Let's illustrate this a little bit more. This, this whole concept of, uh, of faith here. Um, and faith in a promise. Faith in a promise. I was thinking about this, not because my mother-in-law is here, but she is. But um, my children love their grandparents, Grandma and Grandpa Kendall. Um, but they really liked it when Grandpa Kendall would come and visit them in San Diego. Little Connie and Kyle, Kyle and Connie, he was the oldest. And, and he, my grandpa, grandpa would come and he would say, let's go to the park. 
and the park was magical. Whenever they went to the park, they would find coins on the ground, and they would find candies, you know, Hershey Kisses, everywhere. It was just, it was incredible. It was really amazing. They would come back loaded, you know, and, they, and it was just something, and so he would do this every time he'd come down. Now, you think as the kids would get older, they would catch on, but their faith actually increased. And they said, Grandpa, let's go to the park. Because Grandpa promised them that there would always be something at the park. And the promise was always fulfilled. They believed in that. What if my kids had said, no. We don't believe in that anymore, Grandpa. We're not going. Then they wouldn't get anything, would they? They'd miss out on the promise. What if my kids said, no, we're going to work for it on our own. Go get a job. You know, you'd ruin it, right? You'd miss out on the promise. And so it is with God with us. God has an even greater promise. The promise of eternal life. A promise of the return to the garden. The promise is there. But if you try to get there on your own, you're not going to get in. You got to go the way God says. He has a park waiting for you. It's the most beautiful park you've ever seen. And it's loaded with wonderful things. And there's nothing you can do but believe him and go with him. And by the way, we had to tell Grandpa to stop doing it because my kids were making more money than I was after a while. <laughs> there he got a little carried away, but we had a lot of fun. We had a lot of fun with that. Okay, so let's look at the second thing. Faith made him the father of many nations, verses 16 through 25. Now, there's actually three subsections here, so I'm going to break it into three little sections. The first one, verses 16 through 18, Abraham's faith depended on God. So it says that his that is why it depends on faith, okay? And we've been talking about this. The, if it's in faith, then it proves that God is giving it by grace. In other words, it's not what we're doing, but it's what God is doing. And this is the shift here. Once you really understand, it's not about you. Have you got that yet? You don't earn your way into heaven. You don't, God does everything. He's even the one who helps you with your faith. And so this passage here, he underlines that again, and and he says here, he says, this is a promise that rests on God's grace. Grace means unmerited favor. God gives you what you don't deserve, and he guarantees it. He's made the promise. When the guys come on television and they say, I guarantee it, do you believe those guys? And then they have to guarantee it a couple more times because they can't guarantee what they're guaranteeing. But when God guarantees absolutely, positively, he will follow through. And he says, now this is interesting, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham. What he's saying here is that there are those that were adherents to the law. They followed the law of Moses, but they didn't believe the law of Moses was getting them into heaven. It's okay to follow the law. In fact, we should follow the law. But if you trust in the law to get you in, you won't get in. But if you trust in God to get you in and you still follow the law, that's fine. And so he says it relates to those. There are people that have followed the law. You know, they didn't know any better 430 years later. But if they really had faith in God rather than the law, then they're getting in. And he says that's what makes God him the father of many nations. And then he quotes from Genesis chapter 17 verse 5, which says, I have made you the father of many nations. And then it's very interesting at the end of verse verse 17, he says, who gives life to the dead and calls to an existence the things that do not exist. Different interpretations from that, but probably the best in context is what he's saying is, he's going to make you the father of many nations. He's going to take nations that do not now exist and bring them into existence. 
He's going to create a people out of nothing for you. They're going to be your children. Has God created a people out of nothing to now be Abram's, Abraham's spiritual descendants? Who would it be? Be us, the followers of Christ, the Christians, Christianity. That's what I'm going to make. So you will now, spiritually speaking, be the father of all. So that's, a, that's pretty neat. That's pretty neat stuff. So he has that all set up for us. And then he goes on and he says he, he had hope against hope that these things would come true. And they came true. Hope means a certainty. He believed what God told him. And he quotes again one more time um, from, from Genesis. Genesis chapter 15 verse 5 where he takes him. Abraham is taken to a, uh, he's contemplating a star-strewn desert sky. And God says, so shall your descendants or your offspring be. They will be like the stars of heaven. And Abraham believed in God. He had hope in him. He had a certain belief that this was going to happen. Now, here's the key, though. Catch this closely. Abraham was not really, it would be incorrect for us to say that Abraham was a man of faith. That would be an incorrect statement. You know why? Because it leaves open what was he a man of faith in. Do you understand that? I could say I'm a man of faith. I have a lot of faith in myself. I'm a 49er faithful. Keep the faith. That's the saying of the San Diego Padres, incredible people of faith. Uh, I mean, they're still waiting, right? There we go. We've got one in the back. I mean, I used to be a Padres fan when I lived down in San Diego. Keep the faith. I lost the faith somewhere. Um, but, you know, but, but we have these sayings, right, for sports teams. And, and we do. We, and we put, and people read the horoscope. They put their faith in the horoscope, even though we know that's just hokey. You know, it's not even true. You, you do understand that that's all based on planetary system that is no longer in place. Scientifically, it's just totally out. It's just whacked. But people will put their faith in that. They'll put their faith in all sorts of things. Abraham was a man of faith because he put his faith in God. It's a faith that's dependent on God. So say we have our own show. Who wants to go to heaven? It's a new game show. Who wants to go to heaven, right? And one of the questions is, is which door gets you in? This one here that says Diabolos or this one here that says Theos? Right? Well, if you know your Greek, you know one says God and one says the devil. But somebody says, you know, I like Mount Diablo. I think I'll take the one on the right, you know, and they go on the wrong one. It's not going to get you there. You've got to put your faith in God. If you don't put your faith in God and you put it in any place else, you're going to go, your, your tour guide is going to be a guide that you don't want. So you've got to follow the way that God has set up. Our faith needs, we need to be people of faith, but people who have faith in God through Jesus Christ. Now, the second thing he says in verses 19 through 21 is really fascinating. I think it's the most fascinating part of this, this passage for me. Abraham's faith grew as he depended on God, which it, it just seems like that doesn't make sense. I mean, you're waiting all this time for this to happen. You know, he, he's waiting. I mean, it says the guy, he waits till he's 100 years old. To have a kid. And he keeps believing. I mean, that just seems insane. And his faith does not weaken. His body's as good as dead. His wife is barren. And literally in Greek, it says that her, her womb was dead. There's just no hope left, Abraham. Give it up. 
but he keeps on believing. It says that no unbelief made him waver. Now, here's something. No unbelief. In other words, it could be said Abraham's unbelief did not make him waver. Does this saying that Abraham at some point did not believe? I will guarantee you, I'm not a TV guy, but I will still guarantee you that his faith wavered some. I will guarantee you that he doubted. You know why? Everybody doubts all the time. He had to doubt as a human being. But this passage says that those doubts, those momentary doubts, those lapses in his life did not stop him from getting his eye back on the ball. He kept his focus on what was going on. James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8 is sometimes referred to to help explain this. I think it's a good, good passage. In James chapter 1, verses 6 through 8, it reads, But let him ask in faith, without doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. For that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man and stable in all his ways. Now, this is what's important. A double-minded man is somebody who believes this today and believes that tomorrow. The kind of doubt they're talking about is you may have momentary lapses. But if you say, well, I don't know. I, I kind of felt good about what we were saying in church today, but now I don't know. I really did believe this was going to happen, but now I doubt. And you go back and forth like that, that's unstable. That doesn't get you anywhere. You've got to keep your eye on the ball. I was watching the World Series, and they do this thing now where they show the pitches, and they show how these good pitchers can throw these different pitches. They have a curveball, they have a cutter, they have a sinker, and they show all the pitches at once. They, it's amazing what they do. So they, they show them all in slow motions. They have copies of them, and they put them all in at the same time. So you see all the pitches coming from all these different angles, and then they all go to the mid. Of course, it's not really happening, but they're just showing you what it would look like. And I got to thinking, what if you were up to bat, and you had four or five different pitches being thrown at you at once? And you know they're all going into the mitt. Are you going to hit any of them? I I bet you'll miss them. Unless you do one thing. You zero in on one of them. You can't hit them all. You've got to go after one ball. One of the problems in the Christian life is we get distracted. And we're going after too many different things. And we've got to keep our eyes on Jesus Christ. The master and redeemer and the author of our faith. We need to follow him. We need to spend our time with him daily. We need to keep him the center of everything that we do. And as we follow him, we'll see him little by little working these things out in our life and actually increasing our faith because that's what happens to Abraham. Now, one of the most striking things here is that in spite of all this, um, you know, he was convinced that God would do what he would do and he got stronger and stronger. He kept his eye on the ball and he got stronger and stronger. And it's still hard to understand Because if I'm waiting until I'm 100 for the promise to come true, I would think that my faith would become weaker. How does it become stronger? It's been pointed out, and I think this is a good illustration, the illustration of weightlifting. Anybody ever pump iron here? Anybody? Anybody? Am I the only one? Oh, we've got a couple. A couple ladies have. Yeah, I've got a couple couple people pump iron. Yeah, yeah, I used to pump iron. Some of you are surprised. Don't you still? No, this is all natural. Um, but, but, but in the day, I, okay, so, so here's the thing. When you pump iron, you don't usually just pump it up. If you, you, it takes a while to build up your strength, right? So Lori Torres, she was a good friend of mine in high school, and we had this co-ed, guy and girl, 
weightlifting class in high school. I was a senior, and most of the kids in there were, were freshmen, and they were young boys that were just kind of getting their strength together. And Lori, you know, was a tall gal, big bone gal. And so we said, you know, let's, it, it, we think it might be believable. So we talked this over. And what we did is we waited till everybody in the coach were looking the other direction. And we took the machine and we went up as high as it could go. I was like 250 or something like that. And we just had her lock her arms. And then she shouted and we walked away and she goes, coach, coach. Everybody looked and she dropped it. And every, and the coach is like, How'd you, how'd you do that, you know? And she goes, I don't know. I've never lifted before. I didn't realize. I was, and, and, and some of these guys are kind of slinking out of the class. And we didn't say anything. Of course, you couldn't duplicate it. But that doesn't work that way, does it? The way you lift weights is you start at a low weight and you keep lifting and, it's, and you have a plateau. You get to a certain weight and you can't go anymore. You may be stuck there for weeks or months. Then all of a sudden you burst through and you do a lot more. And then you're stuck again for weeks or months. You plateau. And then you burst through and you do more. What's going on? It's the principle of resistance. As you resist the pressure, you get strong. You're not like Lori and just push it up. That's not how faith works. You don't come to the Lord and all of a sudden you're Jesus. It doesn't work that way. You, it's a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time. Then you have a breakthrough. And then you have a breakthrough. And then you're stuck for a while. And then you break through. And it builds your faith. So when I was in college, I preached on that passage on James. And I talked about how difficult it was for me. I remember telling my peers because I was getting near the end of college trying to figure out what I was going to do with my life. And I was working and I was going to, going to school and I uh, had a girlfriend and I was trying to figure all these different issues out in life. And then I think of the things that I experienced in later life was so much, I've had some things that were even more intense but they didn't seem as intense in a way. It's almost like God meets you where you're at. So at that time, that was overwhelming to me, and it really, really was big stuff to deal with. But then when I got older, I was dealing, you know, with jobs and the pressures of jobs and the loss of life with my kid, my son passing away, and our, our daughter being ill, all the different hardships we went through there. And God met us there. And it's interesting is you just hang on it's surprising how you will actually see evidence of God giving you more faith as you go, increasing your dependence on him and helping you to draw closer to him even during your hard times. So it's a beautiful example of that that we have in Abraham that I think can be true with us too as we put our faith in God. And finally, we see that Abraham's faith is now offered to us. And, and that's how he concludes. He talks about this whole idea like we did last week that it was counted to, to, to him as righteousness. It was declared because of your faith, Abraham, you are righteous. Come up here and be with me. And what he says is if you believe in Jesus Christ, put your faith in him, then it's counted to you as righteousness as well. That you will come into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Again, I think sometimes coming to know Christ, it kind of reminded me of this last summer. Last summer, we went to, um, to the Lopez home for swimming, uh, some of us, and um, very gracious, Fred barbecued for us. We had a really good time, and we went swimming. But my wife, typically, when she goes in the pool, she goes in one toe at a time. Michelle, you're the same way, right? Michelle Dunn, same way. I'm watching these two girls, they're two ladies, and they're, they're, they're putting their toes in, and then they've got the ankles in, and, and Blake and I, we just jumped in, right? I mean, you just, you just jump in the pool. I think salvation, you know, it's more like you just jump in. You surrender, just say, oh, you, it's almost like you go backwards. You're in. 
You surrender. But walking the Christian life is probably a lot more like what the ladies were doing. It's like one foot at a time. You just keep walking down. And it's cold and it's scary. But you get closer and closer and closer until you're all the way in. And it becomes more clear. You're getting there. You're getting there. You're getting there. And you see you're going to bake it. You're going to be in. It's a process. And the more you, closer you go, the more comfortable you feel and the better it looks and the more you know that it's going to work out. It's a step-by-step process. Okay, let's look at some basic applications today. One is have you put your faith in God. It's the central theme of the passage. It's the central theme of the book. Um, that's what this is all about. You know, life is littered with broken promises. People say, I'll be with you forever. People say, you'll get a raise. Uh, People say, I'll never stop loving you. I'll I'll pay you back. And, And they just don't happen. But when God makes a promise, like he made a promise to Abraham, a promise which, by the way, let's make sure we hear this, This promise has now been extended to us through Abraham and through Jesus. Because of what Jesus did, the promise to Abraham to be the father of many nations is now extended to us. We can be a spiritual children and we can be part of the kingdom of heaven, which will last forever. That's available to us and that promise will not be broken. It is for eternity. It is the one promise, the one promise that you will hear that will never be broken. The one promise you can always rely on. That's pretty cool. Have you given your life to Christ? Have you recognized that you're a sinner and you can't do it? Have you seen what Jesus has done for you? Have you surrendered your life to him? Have you fallen into the pool and said, I give up, I'm yours? If you have, come and talk to us about that. If you haven't, you know, if, you're, if you've just recently done that, come and talk to us about that. If you haven't and you're interested, come and talk to us about that. If you have, then let others know that they can come in too. Invite them. Bring them to church. Tell them about Jesus. It's the most wonderful gift you could give them during this Christmas season. And the second thing that's intriguing is, is your faith growing? I think another way to look at faith growing is your faith grows as you get to know a person. And that's the most important thing here. Uh, For example, Carrie and I have been married now for 35 years. And we've known each other for like four years previously or whatever. And, And so our faith has grown in each other. I trust my wife more today than I did when we were date, went on the first date. I didn't even trust her to say yes. Okay? I mean, that was a heavy-duty thing, trying to convince her, will you go out with me? That took a lot of faith. Now, she lives with me, right? I trust in her, because over 35-plus years, she's proven that she's worthy of my trust. I have a friend that I've known since we were four years old. I call her my oldest friend. I owe him a phone call, by the way. I was just thinking about that today. I trust in him because you know why? We grew up together. We grew up in the same hood. Met each other walking. Our parents or moms were walking us around in our strollers, I think, pushing us around when we were kids. So I've grown up with this guy. Did sports with him. Did life with him. Keep in touch with him. You build relationships with people that way, right? We're talking about a relationship with God. If you want your faith to increase in God, then you need to spend time with God. You need to talk to him all day long. You need to give thanks to him in all circumstances and recognize that he's in control. 
You need to listen to what he says as you read the Bible. Take what the Bible says and apply it to your life. You need to build relationships with other brothers and sisters in Christ that are all part of a family, a huge family of God. And you need to tell others that they might come into that family. We can look at this very practically. Look at how, how does our faith expand? How do we take Abraham's faith and apply it to our life in a very practical way? How about with MVC? How do we apply it with MVC? We jumped into the swimming pool when we started this church. It was crazy. But God has been good. We had faith in God that he called us to do this and he provided. We had faith in God that he would provide people. He provided people. We had faith in God that people would come to know Christ. I look out and I see people have come to know Christ. And we have some people that are ready to be baptized again. We had faith in God that he would provide a place to meet. You know, just, these things just don't happen. And he provided a place. We had faith in God that we complete the bylaws and all the, you know, 5013C paper. What is it? What is it, Clifton? I said it right. Yeah. Oh, whew, close. So, whew. But I mean, I, I get tongue-tied in that because we had faith in Clifton. No, we didn't put our faith in Clifton, but we faith, put our faith in God working through Clifton um, to help us do all that paperwork. We had faith in, you know, just all the stuff that brought us to this point. We had faith in God that he'd provide property one day, and he did. And we have faith that God will continue to meet our needs. And I find that my faith is continuing to grow in what he's doing in our church. And I get more and more excited the more I see him do. I hope you do too. It's really exciting stuff. And now we're looking at this property. We don't know what's happening in next on the property. You know, we've contacted him. It was Thanksgiving. They could have gone cold turkey. We don't know. But at any point, they are going to get back to us. I, and we'll talk to them then. And we'll find out. I'll tell you what I think. You want to hear where, where I'm going with my faith these days? This is what I'm believing that God's going to do. And this, and this is what I think is going to happen. We're going to get that property. And if we don't, God has something better. And he's going to build us up, provide the money we need. We're going to build that building, and then we're going to start other campuses one day. And you know what? Like Abraham, what we said at the beginning here, I may well be dead before we see everything that happens. But this church is going to keep growing and starting other churches and other places and keep building to have an impact in this community. And some of you need to really pay attention. Those of you that are the youngest here, remember what I'm saying today. Because when I'm gone, you can look back and say, I remember when we talked about this in church. Because God delights in doing miracles and he delights in these things. Now you say, how do you know these things are true? Are you a prophet? No, I'm not a prophet. But I can tell you this, we have studied Ephesians, and we have studied 1 Timothy, and we have studied the Acts of the Apostles, so we know by prescription and description what a church is supposed to do. We're doing all the things a church is supposed to do. We're growing in prayer and Bible study and small groups. We, we, we have outreach through the Family Support Network. We're doing the missions programs, and we're building into people's lives and developing leaders. And the rest is up to God. And if it doesn't happen, there's a couple reasons why it won't happen. One is sometimes things just happen. God has a plan that supersedes what we understand. I mean, we could get blown up in a nuclear attack, you know. Jesus could come again. Um, anything could happen. But, you know, one of the things that I want to make sure is not going to happen. The one thing I want to make sure does not keep us from moving forward. You know what that is? Lack of faith. I don't want to have to tell our Father when we get to heaven, yeah, we just didn't believe you could do it. 
We just didn't believe you could do it. Abraham believed. One step at a time. You know, if we live in this, everything's kind of fast food around here. Life doesn't work that way. It's one step at a time. And then it gets bigger and bigger and bigger until you see what God does. So that's the example of faith that we have before us. And that's why we need to believe in God to do the big things he will do. And, and for everybody to believe in him and say, what does God want me to do? How can I get involved in this wonderful program, this wonderful things that God is doing right here? And you may think of other things in your life where God wants you to believe in him. You know, he's shown you through the Bible, this is what I should do, and I need to follow through, and it's going to take faith to believe him for it, but I'm going to believe him for it. If it's a job, a relationship, whatever it might be, I will believe God, and if he shows me otherwise, I'll accept his will. But how do I know his will? Unless I believe in him, and I move forward one step at a time. There is one... I led you down the wrong path here. I apologize. There is one who has fathered more than Abraham. And that's our Heavenly Father. And I don't know what your situation has been. Some of you I know have maybe not had the best father. But if you've never had the best father, then you know as well as anybody or better than most maybe what the best father should be like. He's the opposite. He's the perfect dad. And he's the one who's waiting for you with open arms in heaven if you've given your life to him through Jesus Christ. Will you join me in a word of prayer? Father, thank you so much that you are our father, that you are our Abba Daddy, that we can crawl up in your arms one day when it's all over and worship you in the most intimate way as Lord and Father Thank you for what you've done through Jesus Christ. Thank you in this season of Thanksgiving and uh, celebration that we can celebrate that the risen son came, that we can give thanks, having just come out of Thanksgiving, for all you've done for us. And pray that everyone here would grasp the full intent of what you said and we might really experience being a family under our father Abraham. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.